Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 3, please. Acts chapter 3. We give you this quick announcement. There's going to be a men's meeting, short men's meeting, Wednesday night after church. That can be done over in the fellowship hall. And so if you're here Wednesday night, men, uh, please be available for that. Acts chapter 3. I want to direct your attention to verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 10 for our text here this afternoon. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. I'm going to break these verses down here and make some applications for us uh, this afternoon. But before we get into that, I just want to make a comment that it's important for us to be reminded of what we see here is a great miracle that took place uh, by human men. Uh, They were vessels used of God, and a miracle happened here. And it's important for us to remember uh, and be reminded of the purpose of, for which the power to perform miracles was given. Um, It was a sign gift, certainly, but it was the Holy Spirit's power as manifested through those signs and wonders that uh, served as credentials, if you will, for those who were performing the miracle. The, The miracle itself, it verified the message, and it verified the messenger, that they were truly of God. And it's important for us to remember that Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. And so Jesus Christ was a man who was approved of God by signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 3, we see the miracle take place here. You can look in Hebrews chapter 2. Just hold your place and turn over to Hebrews 2 quickly. Hebrews 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers' miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. And so the book of Hebrews teaches us that 
God also was bearing witness both with signs and wonders and divers' miracles. And so it's important for us to understand that what was happening here in Acts chapter 3, the purpose of it was to authenticate and to verify the message and also the messengers, that they were truly of God. And you'll see that in just a, a second. We're going to look at three different things out of this passage. We're going to look at the saints, we're going to look at the Savior, and then we're going to look at the sign. All of these here, and we'll make some applications uh, along the way as well, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word again to teach us and to instruct us, to encourage us, challenge us as well, and I pray that we would take it to heart for the glory of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Look at verse 1. We're notice the saints here. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. I want to just stop right there for a second. We read those words and we say, okay, it was Peter and it was John. Great. We got that. But there's more here. Okay. If we dig a little bit deeper, there's some meaning that we can extrapolate from this or some, I mean, they're just words. It's a narrative telling us what happened here, but, but there's something that, that can be gleaned from this that's a bit deeper. These men were human instruments through whom the Spirit of God performed this miracle. But we can also learn some valuable lessons and some principles from this verse as well. First of all, what we can note is that the love of God is seen here between these two. You say, okay, what does that mean? What do we mean by that, Pastor? Well, if you understand Peter and John, you'll understand that these two men in particular possessed a very godly and intimate and inseparable friendship. Peter and John, when we look at the scriptures, were together all the time. First of all, we know from Matthew chapter 17, let's just look over there. We'll just flip around through a few different passages of scripture. Peter and John were both together on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew chapter 17, in verse 2, The Bible says in verse 1, After six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. Well, verse 1 tells us that Peter and John were together to witness this special thing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 22 tells us that Peter and John prepared the last Passover meal, uh, that we just spoke about uh, in, our, in our John series, they did that together. Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 and verse 8. Verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. Here they are together serving Christ. Jesus gave them the job of preparing the last Passover together. In John chapter 20, after Jesus was crucified, after he was buried, what we find is that John, Peter and John went to the sepulcher to see the Lord or find the Lord if they could, but obviously he was risen and they should have believed that, but they were together doing it. 
John chapter 20 and verse 2. Well, let's go back to verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. So here we see another uh, element, and we could, we could talk about several others, but Peter and John are together. They were in Galilee after the Lord's resurrection together. Here in Acts chapter 3 in our text, they went into the temple together, possibly to witness. They were, uh, let's look at another one, Acts chapter 4. Since we're here, just turn to the right, Acts chapter 4, verse 3. Well, let's go back to verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Skip down to verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So here they're imprisoned and they're tried together before the Sanhedrin, together. We read in Acts chapter 8, turn over a couple of pages, Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, we read that the church sent them to Samaria together to establish new converts. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. I could just keep on going and belabor this point. But here's the point, and here's the application. There is nothing like godly friends who will encourage you and edify you in your life to more godliness. When you look at Peter and John together, what do you see? You see them serving the Lord together. You see them pulling in the same direction together. You see them of the same mind and the same heart together doing what is edifying to each other. That's what you see about Peter and John. They had a godly love between them that edified and built them both. And there is nothing like godly friends who will encourage you and edify you to more godliness. Listen, we can have all kinds of associations in this world. But the world's associations will only corrupt and they will only drag you down spiritually. And I have to ask this question because it's a very relevant and important question in the day that we live in. Friend, who are your real friends? Are they people who love God? Are they in this body right here? Or are they associations that you have outside in this world? Think about it. Who would you rather be around? It's very telling. If a person's mindset or the people that they would rather be around are not Christian people or God-loving people at all. 
Another point that we could make out of that is when we consider Peter and John and the kind of friends that they were, we could ask this question as well. Are you that kind of a friend? Inside of this family and inside of this church, are you that kind of a friend? What we have just seen demonstrated with Peter and John. Are you the kind of friend of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 that says we ought to consider one another and we ought to provoke one another unto love and to good works? Are you that kind of friend? Or are you the kind that provokes to dislike of other people through gossip or through nitpicking of different people's flaws or perceived flaws or, or, or little things that, that bug you? Are you that kind of a person or that kind of friend? So we're going to get together and we're going to have this little chat. We're just going to tear the other person down because of some whatever going on. What kind of friend are you that provokes? Unto love and to good works? Or are you the kind that provokes to other things? Come on. Hey, don't hate me. Don't hate me. Am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? <laughs> think about it. And don't sit. Hey, hey, don't sit and think and say, well, I know of other people that are like that, but I'm not like that. Don't do that. The Word of God tells us what kind of a person, what kind of friend we ought to be that is going to provoke one another, to consider one another. That means to know. That means to know our brothers and sisters. It means to be involved in their life. And my life is one that provokes and helps to love and to good works in them. It's for their good. And mine. Amen? We talked about this the other night, a couple weeks ago. The way that we use our tongue ought to be considered. We ought to use our tongue for edification and help. It ought not to be used to tear down. It's important, friends. Amen? And I call you friends. It's important. We see the love of God between these two. There's nothing like good, godly friends who keep on encouraging each other and provoking each other unto love and to good works. What happens when you get together? What happens? Only you know. I don't know. But what happens when you get together? Is it a time that is for fellowship, and I walk away from that feeling like, man, I was blessed. I was edified talking to you, brother, because I appreciated the things that you had to say about how God was working in your life or even just what's happening in your everyday. And somewhere along the line, you point it back to the Lord and we just encourage one another in the things of God or we just encourage each other to hold on, keep going, brother or sister or whatever. I walk away edified. I walk away rejoicing with that. I don't want to be a part. I don't want to be a part of something where all we do is we sit around and we badmouth somebody else or we talk about other people. I don't want to be part of that. I am not edified. I really don't. I pre preachers can be the worst at this, okay? 
They can. And to my shame, there have been times when I've been a part of something like that because I'm human. But I don't want to be. Amen? I want to be a blessing. I want to be blessed. I want to be a Hebrews 10, 24 kind of a friend. I want to be like Peter and John. Amen? Well, we see the love of God. See, that last part was free. That wasn't even part of the notes. <laughs> the rest of it you're going to pay for. No, I'm kidding. We see the grace of God is also seen here. It is obvious that these two men both had a heart for God. Go back to our text in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And then we see the narrative here about how they healed this man who had been lame from his mother's womb. We also see that they pointed directly to Jesus Christ, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But I think it's clear from what we've read and what we even see here that both of these men had a heart for God. They loved the Lord. They were knit together in their soul. They were knit together in their spirit. And here's the great part. These two men, they were not the same personality types. They were not the same, you know, everything that just made them like this inseparable. They were not, they were very different people. But they had the very same goal in mind. Even though they were very different people, there were differences between them. There were differences in their personality. There were differences in their temperament. If you kind of get an overall perception, if you will, of John, it seems that John was more of a calm type. It seems that, that John was maybe more intuitional. John wasn't impulsive, if you will. He wasn't necessarily subject to the moment. But when you consider Peter, Peter was one who kind of was antsy, who kind of was restless. He was impatient. He was, he was fairly dogmatic about things. You know that about Peter. I'll die for you, Lord! You'll never wash my feet, Lord. That kind of stuff. That's the personality type that Peter had. He tended to be somewhat of an extremist, if you will. They were very different people. Very different personality types. Very different temperaments. It was Peter who denied the Lord. Now, we could say they all denied the Lord because they all ran away uh, at the time of the crucifixion. But the Bible highlights Peter, and Jesus highlighted Peter that, that the rooster is going to crow three times, and you're going to deny me. It was John who alone stood at the foot of the cross. It was John, if anybody, who witnessed Peter's denial, and yet we see both of them still together at the sepulcher. And John, you could say, was, was maybe the, the less impulsive type, and maybe John was the more loyal one or something like that. You could make up all kinds of things. But here's the truth of the matter. John knew Peter's defects, and he loved him anyway. He loved him with the love of Christ. 
And Peter loved John in return. And here they are, still serving the Lord together. Even though very different people, and even though it's pretty clear that Peter had some flaws about him. I was just saying today, this morning, at men's prayer meeting, it was just in my heart, and I was actually just praying it, but I was very thankful for the brother that I was praying with. I was very thankful in my heart. Here's the reason why. Because it was evident that we're pulling in the same direction. It was evident that we have the same goal of winning Christ or gaining Christ and serving the Lord. Even though we're very different people, I was so very thankful for the brother that I could serve God with. Because we were going in the same direction. Sometimes, sometimes we look at others with a very critical eye. We look at them with a critical eye because of some flaw or some defect that they have that we perceive that they have in their personality or in their character. As if somehow we don't have any of our own or that as if somehow we're better than they are because at least we don't have that kind of a flaw. We do that sometimes. And we look at each other with a critical eye rather than with an eye that says, you know what, I love God. I love Jesus Christ. That person seems to love Jesus Christ. We're brothers in the Lord. We're sisters in the Lord together. You know what, we ought to have some grace with each other. We ought to overlook some things so that we can pull in the same direction and not be so critical of each other. I'm not saying that this church is full of critical people. That's not what I'm saying. But if the shoe fits, put it on. Okay? Amen? We ought to have a higher goal. We ought to have a higher priority. We ought to have some grace with one another. If we have the right view, which is God's view, of ourselves, we're going to realize that there's nothing that makes anyone better than another one. And for the sake of Christ, we ought to be able to look past some faults. We ought to be able to exhibit the love of Christ. And we ought to be able to serve God together. You know, people are going to say dumb things. People are going to say stupid things. They're going to. People are going to react in a way that maybe you don't like. But friend, if you're not willing to actually go and talk to a person and say, what did you mean by this? Or this is what it seemed like happened. Is this true? Is it not true? If you're not willing to do that, then keep your mouth shut. I'm not mad at anybody, okay? I promise you I'm not. I don't even know where this is coming from. Maybe so. It's not part of the notes. That one was free too. But if somebody is sitting here right now, if somebody is sitting here right now, I don't think pastors should be preaching like that. No, stop. Hey, friend. You better 
Better listen up. You better take it to heart. Not because I said it. It's the Spirit of God. That's what we need. We need to be reminded of who we are. That we are nothing. We are sinners saved by grace and grace alone. And all we are is deserving of God's judgment. And every single one of us are in the same boat. And there's nobody better than another. And we ought to be working to edify one another. Let's help each other grow in the Lord. Let's just stop with this pettiness. Let's stop with these, these mindless things. And let's get serious about doing right and serving God and encouraging one another to do the same. Amen? Let's just stop. Stop being children. And let's grow up in the Lord. I wonder how many who serve together are actually critical of each other. But we're all serving together. But behind the scenes, we're critical of each other. Let's not do that. Amen? For Christ's sake. For the Lord's sake. Thirdly, or secondly, we see the Savior. Go back to our text there. So we saw these two men. Some good lessons out of that. One verse. But man, we can take a lot from it if we do a little digging. Secondly, we see the Savior. Verse 6. Then Peter... Well, let's, let's read through the rest of that, verses 1 through 5. So we know in verse 2, they came to the certain lame man who from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Here we see the Savior. Peter says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The usage of that name is found 33 times in the book of Acts. It's used more here than it is in any other place in the New Testament. And the significance of using that name is found in the names themselves. The name Jesus was Jesus' earthly name that means Savior. The title Christ, which is a title, it's not his last name, it's not Jesus Christ, first name, last name. That's a title. The title Christ means the anointed of God. And of course, Jesus at that time was exalted. He was exalted at the right hand of God, having risen from the dead. The tag on the end of Nazareth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is an identifier. And it's, it's, it's an identification that magnifies the fact that Jesus was a Jew. And what is being done here is what is being, uh, what is being demonstrated here to us is that uh, Peter was, was making very sure, he was making it 
very clear. He wanted everyone to be clear by whose power this man was going to be made whole. Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, his blood is on your hand. And I want everybody to know by whose power this man is going to be made whole. Here was a helpless man who was in need. This lame man was looking for something that would satisfy the need. And what do Peter and John give him? Well, they give him the very thing that would change his life forever. They said, such as I have, give I thee. The very thing that I have and the very thing that has changed my life, I'm going to give it to you. We see the fact that we know that these men were real Baptist preachers because they said, silver and gold have I none. So we can tell that they were, wow, that one went over like a lead balloon. Thank you for the courtesy laugh. Shut up. (laughs) Here's the application, though. Peter and John saw a man with a need. They saw a man with a need. This world is full of people in need, searching for something to satisfy that need. They don't even know what they need. What do we have to give? We have something far more precious and valuable than silver and gold, something that can truly change a person's life forever. What we have is Jesus. And listen, friend, listen. We've got to see the need. We've got to see the need of people around us. Do you ask God to help you? Do you ask God to burden your heart over people who have a need? Listen, we have a a ministry that we're reaching out into our state, native villages all across the state. And the reality is that people are bound by sin. People are bound in their, 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 their lifestyle. They're bound by drugs. They're bound by alcohol. There's depression. There's suicide. There's death. There's all of these things. And people are looking for a way out. They're looking for something to satisfy the need. You have people all around you that you work with who are lonely people, who are searching for something. They don't know what they need. Do you see that these are people who have a need? Listen, we have an evangelist in another country far across the world. Do you pray? Do you see the need? Does it cause you to pray? Does it grip your heart that causes you to weep for souls, to weep for the seeds of the gospel to be sown that can meet the need? Let me just read for you what I got from Noah this morning. And I try to reach out to him every week. You know that. Ask him how he's doing. Ask him what are their prayer needs. Are there, is there anything? And he said this. He said, pray for the power of God through his word that it would convict hearts. So many people are hearing the clear, pointed 
gospel message. Yet only God can convict and touch hearts. Every week, there's over 100 people who come to their evangelistic meeting. Every single week, over 100 people hearing the gospel message. And he's saying, they're hearing it, but only God can convict their heart. You need to pray. You need to pray. He said, pray for a young man named Ahid. He's the cousin of Adham. He's been coming to church and also to the youth meeting I do for the young men that are at the orphanage. I'm meeting with him Tuesday to do a Bible study and go into his need of salvation. This Tuesday, who's writing it down? Who's going to be remembering it? That on Tuesday, there's a soul that's going to have the seeds of the gospel planted in his life. Are you going to pray about it? Do you lift up your eyes unto the fields? Do you look up? Do you see that people have a need? Does it grip your heart? This is not meant to be a slam to anybody at all. But it's just the reality. It doesn't need to be the reality, but it probably is. If you're the average Christian, your week is consumed with all of your plans and all of your business and all of the deals that you got to work and all of the things that you're doing. That's what consumes your week. How much of your week is spent praying for those who have a need? Do you think about it even at all? It's not meant to be a slam, but it's meant to provoke. Amen? How often do you pray for Noah George? Pray for these people. Like, oh, the names are too hard to remember. So, yeah, well, how much effort did you really put into it? Right? I don't remember all the names either, but I sure try because I want to bring their name before the Lord. Pray for Adheed. He's having a Bible study on Tuesday. This man needs the Lord. He has a need. And Noah George, such as I have, give I thee. Amen? Let's just think on that for a second. The third thought for this afternoon, and we'll do this quickly and we'll close, is verses 7 through 10. We see the sign. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Now, what was the purpose of miracles again? To verify the message and the messenger that they were of God. All the people were amazed and in wonder at the things that happened. 
the supernatural miracle that happened here was that of strength being brought to this crippled man's feet and his ankle bones. And note this, for the very first time in his life, he was able to walk and he was able to do it instantly. The Bible tells us that he was crippled, what, from his mother's womb. He had never walked before in all of his life. And for the very first time in all of his life, he was able to stand up. And the Bible says he's walking and he's leaping and he's able to do it right now, having never done it ever before in his life. That's a miracle. Praise the Lord. What an amazing thing happened here. But you know what else is amazing? Not just the miracle itself, but it's amazing that God used sinful, mortal men to work a miracle to bring Him glory. Amen? Amen. But notice this. The Bible says in verse 7, And He took Him by the right hand. What we find here are humble hands. Humble hands. Peter and John extended to this invalid the right hand. They weren't embarrassed. They weren't ashamed to be seen reaching out to this man when others probably passed him by every single day. These two came to him and they offered him the right hand. That convicts me. Here this man every day was laid at the gate and he would ask an alm. And I think it's important to note that Peter said, look on us, look on us. What does that indicate? It indicates that this guy wouldn't even look up. Why wouldn't he look up? He was begging for alms, probably because how people treated him his entire life. And he said, look at me. Take my hand. That convicts me. How often do we judge based on appearance or means or resource? How often do we wait for other people to come to us when we ought to be the ones going to them? These were humble hands. Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer because that is where the people would be. They went to where the people were. And it teaches us a simple yet important principle, even regarding evangelism. They went to the lost, and God opened the door for them to preach. If we don't go, we can't sow. We need to sow the seeds of the gospel. That's why we have Great Commission Day. That's why we have our native ministry to distribute and plant and sow the seeds of the gospel, getting it into people's hands. And I appreciate everybody who shows up. I love that. It's a blessing to me to serve the Lord. Let's take that a step further, amen? And let's take it out into the world that we live in, the people all around you. I always get so convicted in my soul when I catch myself judging 
other people based on appearance. And I do it. And I hate it. And the Spirit of God reminds me. And I catch myself. I try to see him as a soul. Not as a, a hot mess. But as a soul that needs the Lord. Not only were they humble hands, but they were compassionate hands. The Bible says in verse 7, He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. They were saints of God. They were redeemed. Their lives had been changed by the Master. They had been lifted up from their fallen condition themselves. And Peter and John were moved with compassion towards this helpless man. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. They were intent on meeting this man's need. And I would simply say this. What an example for 2022 Christians to follow. Amen? Go to John chapter 5, and we'll be done. John 5 and verse 1, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And if they lay and there and these, excuse me, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty-eight and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. You say, Why did you read that, Pastor? I read it for this reason. Jesus set the example. This is what Jesus did when he walked this earth. Peter and John saw that. And over in the book of Acts, as Peter and John are walking into the temple, they see a man who was lame, who had a need. And in the same power with which Christ healed this man, Peter and John met the physical need of another man. They followed the example of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John chapter 12, in John chapter 13, here's what I've done. I've set an example for you. This is what you should do for other people. Peter and John were just following the example of the Lord. And I'm saying this, it's a great example for you and for me to follow too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, use your word. Thank you again for it. In Jesus' name, amen.